Well, good morning, church. We're so glad that you have chosen to join us this morning, wherever you are, at home, and maybe you've stumbled upon us or been invited to join us this morning uh, from somebody who goes to Grace or, or who has heard of Grace. And so, obviously, we are in the book of Genesis. So we are coming to the conclusion of the book and the Joseph story. We have called this Trusting the Goodness of God. The Joseph story, Trusting the Goodness of God. And this morning, what I want to talk to you about is this idea of reorienting our lives in times of loss. One of the verses that you just heard read, Genesis 47, verse 13, there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. I know it's easy uh, as we're coming to the end of this Joseph story, and, and last week we kind of had this big happy ending, happy, happy moment where Joseph and his brothers are reconciled and they come back together, and that's awesome. But I want to I wanna, uh, pump the brakes a little bit this morning and remind us all that the context of this story is a very terrible situation, a, a, a famine that is so severe that everyone is struggling, everyone is literally starving to death. Um, it's, not, it, it's not unlike what we're going through in our context today. The, the, the under the underwriting context of our lives right now is this pandemic, so uh, a terrible situation, a fear-filled situation at times um, that has become the very thing by which we orient our lives. And what has happened as a result of all of this, and I want to I make sure that we, all, that we understand and that you understand that as a church and as pastors and that we all understand for each other the great loss that has occurred and is occurring in our lives, all of our lives right now. The loss, of, the loss of time, the loss of connection, the loss of being together. Um, losses, you know, the other day we were standing outside talking, you know, talking to a family with young kids, and we, we kind of said, you know, this was, this was last Saturday, we should, be at, we should be at a soccer game right now. We should be watching a soccer game. There is no soccer game. There's no soccer games. There's no hockey games. There's no, there, these things, we've lost all of this. It's all been set aside. Um, the graduates, there's, I'm, I'm not going to any graduation parties this year. Usually I go to four or five graduation parties that you guys, you church members invite me to, and I go and we cook out and we have a good time and we, we play cornhole and we do all of these things and it's awesome. And we're not doing that. We're not doing that this year. We've lost all of that. Mother's Day last week. So many people, you know, I, got, I talked to my mom on the phone, but it's not the same. You know, that, that's been, I've heard that said to me a, a dozen times. You know, it just, it was different. It just wasn't the same. Um, weddings. I'm doing premarital counseling with a couple right now that it's like, uh, we don't know what we're doing. We might just have a little ceremony, um, but the, the big party, the big celebration, the reception, it's a loss. It's a loss. And with that comes, sometimes comes financial losses. And, and then obviously, you know, some of us, 
have lo literally lost a loved one in, in all of this. We have church members that have lost parents and aunts and uncles and relatives. We've lost our health. And again, I want to remind you what we said on, on Good Friday. We don't want to rationalize this or we don't want to move past our loss and grief by saying, well, at least I'm not as bad off as this other person. You know, I, I've only lost my kids' soccer games. I haven't lost a job. No, no, we, that's not the way to, to deal with loss. That's, that's us just saying, well, um, I, can, I can just sweep aside this, this grief that's in my heart. I want you to understand that Jesus cares about every loss in your life, big and little. He cares about the lost coin, and he cares about the lost sheep, and he cares about the lost son. He cares about them all. He cares about every single thing that we could possibly lose. And so we don't want to make comparisons, and instead we want to be able to take all of our losses to God and let God reorient us. Because, because in times of loss, the loss can become, and by what I mean by reorient, so to be oriented is to be focused, to allow a thing to become the focal point of my life and, and the definition of my life. And I get it. In this pandemic, we have had to reorient, right? We have reoriented our lives around the pandemic, and rightly so, in a lot of ways. We have stayed home. We have social distanced. We wear masks every time we, we go out to the grocery store or, or whatever. And so we have, we have refocused our lives in that effort. But we have to be careful that when we're doing that, when we're allowing something to reorient us, we do not lose sight of our God and his promises because ultimately he has to become the central focus of our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. One of, uh, you know, and let, me, let me just say this. Um, one of the things that's happening, you know, what we're doing as a society, this, this, this way that we are addressing this pandemic by social distancing, by staying home, what we have said is we have said, um, we will not sacrifice the vulnerable. We will not sacrifice the weak for the sake of the strong, right? In, in the words of the great theologian, Captain America, we will not trade lives, right? Infinity War, good movie. So we will not trade lives. We, so for those of you that struggle with Christianity and say, man, Christianity is such a weird religion and such a strange concept, and Christians are all... Listen, I, I want you to understand. What we're doing as a society is a Christian thing. There is nothing more Christian than to self-sacrifice for others. Without Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, we would not be doing what we're doing. And so for all of you that are experiencing a loss, loss of a graduation party or or loss of a job, or loss of soccer games, or whatever it is, big, big or small, I want you to understand that you are doing a very Christ-like thing to sacrifice and to, and to do what is hard for you for the sake of another, for the well-being of another. It's love. At the end of the day, it's love. It's, it's us loving one another, which is what we're created to do. We're actually becoming more alive and more human than ever by doing this. 
We're actually becoming what Jesus intends humanity to be by doing this. And so, just one lesson today, but I'll, don't worry, I'm going to keep you busy. Um, one lesson, our lesson is, in times of loss, we need to reorient our lives around the promise of God. And I'm going to, I'm going to go through four promises, and we're going to look at them from Genesis. And then I want to connect us uh, to these same, I want, to, I want to show you how Jesus reorients us around these same four promises in John's gospel. And then hopefully if we have time, we'll even look at the book of Revelation. We'll see how everything ends around all of this same stuff. So we're going to move kind of fast. You're going to want a Bible, um, maybe even one with pages, so that you can do, the, you know, do some flipping around to the, to the different parts of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. So four promises of God that you can reorient your life around. Four promises of God to reorient your life around, to make these the focus of your lives, to make this the focus of your lives. The first promise is the promise of life in God's presence. Look at Genesis 46. Genesis 46, verse, verses 1 through 4, but especially 3 and 4. Obviously, Jacob is afraid to go to Egypt because God shows up and says, Jacob, don't be afraid. So we should assume he was afraid. He was afraid of going to Egypt. He's afraid of, possibly he's afraid of losing the presence of God. If I step out of the promised land, do I lose the presence of God? And God assures him in, verse, in chapter 46, verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. Verse 4, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you back up again. I'm going with you. What an amazing, amazing statement. Jacob's heard this before. Jake, if, you, if, you've, um, if you've walked through this whole Genesis thing with us, and I admit that this, I'm going back months now, but way back when, Jacob was running for his life. Remember that? Because Esau, his brother, was going to get him. And he's running for his life. And he goes to Bethel. And in Bethel, at Bethel, he sees the vision of the, the ladder to heaven. And God makes these same exact kinds of promises to him. I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm, and I'm going to bring you back. And that allowed Jacob to then be sustained and to move forward. I'm going to be your God. You will be my people. This is the promise of God spoken to Abraham, spoken to Isaac, now spoken to Jacob. This is the desire of God since the beginning of time, since the beginning of creation, that God is with us, that he lives his life with humanity, with you, with me. Um, we, we've done everything in our power to make that not happen, as humans, we've pushed God away. We've broken communion with God. We've rejected God. We've said we don't need God. We've done all of it. And yet God continues. That's what this whole book is. The story of God continuing to be with us, to try to be with us. I'm going to be with you. And he's doing it now through Jacob. And so my que the question is, do you believe that God is always with you? If you're a Christian, your answer is yes. Your answer should be, can be, Yes, I believe. Now, I get it. We don't always believe that. Let's be honest. 90% um, of the day, I, don't, I, I forget that 
now if you stop me and say, hey, do you believe this? I'm going to say yes. But 90% of the day, I don't remember that God is with me. I, I kind of lose track of God throughout the day. If you're like me, you do, you do the same thing. That's our confession this morning. No, we, we don't actually live. Some, some have said a lot of Christians just live as functional atheists where, you know, okay, yeah, if you stop me and, and ask me, do I believe in God and am I trusting God? Sure, but my life doesn't actually reflect that. But God's desire is for us to live in his presence and he with us. The second promise is the promise of life in God's place. So the, the promise of the presence of God, but also the promise that we will do it exactly where God wants us to be. And at this part of the story, the redemptive story, the place is Egypt. And that seems really strange, doesn't it? Why why is God wanting his people to go to Egypt? And actually, they're going to flourish in Egypt. That's the, the great mystery or the great irony of this, this whole story. We, um, when Akin was reading the scripture, he, he didn't read a whole big section about how Joseph dealt with the famine. And basically, um, basically Joseph ends up taking the land of all the Egyptians Literally, all the Egyptian people are becoming slaves, but then the text says that the Hebrews who settle in Goshen, they actually acquire possessions. So they're, they're getting richer while the Egyptians are getting poorer. The Hebrews are flourishing in a foreign land, in a non-covenant land, in, in not the promised land. And that just goes to show you that God is with them, that the presence of God overrules all of, all of these other things. God is not a local deity. He's not just the God of Canaan. He's the God of the, of the universe. The universe is his throne and the earth is his footstool, Solomon will later say. So they're in Goshen, they're in Egypt, and they're thriving. Joseph is saving the nations. Actually, the Abrahamic blessing is coming true at this point. So God's blessing on Abraham. I'm going to turn you into a great nation like the stars in the sky, and you're going to bless, all, all the nations will be blessed through you. And Joseph is now the fulfillment of that. Joseph has brought his family into Egypt where they will thrive, they will multiply, they will be fruitful and multiply. That's how the, the whole thing ends, 47, 27. And, and then, and also they're going to bless all the other Nations. There's this part in the story where Jacob meets Pharaoh. Did you catch that when, when that was being read? Jacob meets Pharaoh and he comes in and he blesses Pharaoh. And then when he leaves, he blesses Pharaoh. It's actually, it's a little bit comical because Pharaoh's like the king of the, the world. And here comes this nobody, this farmer, this, uh, this shepherd from, from some crazy foreign land. This Hebrew shepherd comes in and he's blessing Pharaoh. But hey, he's Jacob. And he knows that he's got the blessing of God upon him. And so he's blessing the Pharaoh. Opportunity. Opportunity. Listen, do you believe that you are exactly where God wants you to be? Do you, believe, uh, do you look at all of this as a big mistake? Some big colossal mistake? Or do you believe that you are in the time and, and place exactly where God wants you to be? That this is an opportunity for you. That this whole 
this whole pandemic, this whole famine, you know, the, our, our equivalent of their famine, that it has you exactly where God wants you to be. In general, you exist, you were born for such a time as this. You are here for such a time as this. It, it's specific. Do you believe that you're in the neighborhood, you live on the street, you live in the house, you go to the school, you, you're, in, you're in a house with just the right people that you're supposed to be with? You, 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 are, you are working a job, you're, you're working at a job where you are exactly where God wants you to be. Maybe your job's changing, maybe it's looking different, maybe, maybe everything's being retooled and reworked. Do you believe that God is moving you to the exact location? But Brady, it feels like I'm moving to Egypt. Yeah. And God's saying, I'm going to be with you when I take you there. Not only that, you're going to actually thrive. Third promise. The promise of life within God's purpose. The, the promise of life within God's purpose. The very last, well, second to last verse that we read this morning, 47 verse 27. Okay, look at it again. Open up your Bible to 47 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Okay, again, if you've been reading Genesis, or, or if you're the Hebrew people that heard this read to them, because that's how it would have happened back then, Right? Moses wrote this, and Moses stood up, and he started reading Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created, etc., 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 and uh, just a, you know, 30 seconds into it, our verse 28, Genesis 1-28, you will be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and you're going to have dominion, and you're going to have authority, and you're going to rule. And then after the flood, chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, Noah and his family, they come off the ark, and what does God say? God says you're going to be fruitful, and you're going to multiply. And so this is God's purpose. God's purpose for humanity, now God's purpose for the Hebrews, for the Israelites, and they are in Egypt where they are fulfilling this purpose, that they are going to image God to the world. They are going to be fruitful, they are going to multiply, and in, multi in literally multiplying, in literally making babies, they are multiplying worshipers of God, they are multiplying image bearers of God for the world to see. Beyond this, they are also, so this is getting a little deeper, we're going to we'll peel back the, the, the onion a little bit here. In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sin, God says, okay, there's going to be the off, this offspring, this seed of the woman who's going to come, Genesis 3.15, who's going to come and save the world and, and, and conquer evil, conquer the, 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 the offspring of Satan. It's this cryptic thing, but all of, the book, all of the book of Genesis, all of your Bible is the story of God preserving that seed, that baby, that child, that little boy child who will eventually be born and come and conquer sin and death and evil once and for all, and we will all live happily ever after the end. And so when, whenever in your Bible you see 
and they were fruitful and they multiplied, your brain should go back to Genesis 3.15 and you should say, oh, that's God. That's God keeping the seed going. We're not there yet. Jacob's not the seed. Joseph's not even the seed, right? We know, <clears throat> what we know as Christians is that it's Jesus Christ. He's coming. We're still, a, we're still a minute away. We're thousands of years away. But God is protecting the line to move us to Christ. Do you believe that you are never outside of God's purpose for you? Do you believe that no matter how much you've messed up, and trust me, Jacob and his family, they have done some messing up. Do you believe that no matter how much you've messed up, that God is still using you to multiply the witness of Jesus Christ? Well, Brady, I can't multiply the witness of Jesus Christ because I'm such a disaster. Wrong. It's because you're such a disaster that you can multiply the witness of the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay? So get that into your head. Being a disaster, being a mess, getting it all wrong, having sin in your life, all of this stuff, this does not negate your witness. Those things actually allow you to then be a witness to grace, not to your own perfection. Okay, and then number four, promise number four. The promise of life with God's person. The promise of life with God's person. Anytime you preach the Old Testament, you're, we're, we're constantly, what we're saying is um, it's all about Jesus, right? Every, every page whispers his name. So how is Genesis about Jesus? Well, I already told you one way. The Genesis, so from the historical point, the story of Genesis is the story of the preservation of the family that will eventually become Jesus, but also in these stories, we have pictures of Jesus. We call them types. So we can, we can look at Joseph's life and we can say, oh, that's a little picture of Jesus. It's a little picture of what Christ has done. And so look, look at chapter 46. Genesis 46. 28, 29, 30, in there, 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him. J Jacob sent Judah ahead to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Look at verse 29. This is beautiful. Then Joseph prepared his own chariot. We could say it that way. Jo trust me, Joseph would not ever prepare his own chariot. But here he does. Because he's excited. <laughs> he's excited. Joseph prepares his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. Remember, they have not seen each other in 22 and a half years, 23 years. And for all that time, Jacob has thought Joseph to be dead. And so now this is it. This is, this is Joseph and Jacob seeing each other for the first time. Joseph prepares his own chariot. He rides out halfway. Jacob's coming the other half of the way. And they meet each other. He presents himself to him, falls on his neck, and weeps on his neck a good while. Israel looks at Joseph and says, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. You see, 
At the end of the day, it's all about this relationship. It, it's not about Egypt. It's not about getting rich and famous in Egypt. It's about a dad and a son who haven't seen each other. It's about, it's about Joseph desperately wanting to see his family, desperately wanting to see his dad, and a dad who hasn't been really at peace. He, has, he hasn't had any peace in his heart for 23 years. And now when he sees Joseph, he can say, he's, 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 not, he's not saying I want to die. He's saying I got peace. It's his way of saying I, now, now I finally have peace in my life. Why? Because I have seen your face. You see, it's a picture. It's a picture for us of what we all should be looking forward to. Grace just saying about it a, a couple minutes ago, that, that it's Jesus. Jesus is the one I want. Jesus is the one I need. Jesus is the one I'm looking forward to you. Do you believe... Oops. Do, oh, I lost the slide. Here it is. Do you believe that one person gives you everything you need? Let that, let that sink in for a second. Do you believe that there's one person that can give you everything you need? Now, if your answer is, yeah, it's my wife. Yeah, it's my husband. Yeah, it's my kids. Yeah, it's my roommate. It's my friend. It's my grandma. No, it's not. It's Jesus. He's the one person that can give you everything that you need. Okay, now, grab your Bible. I want you to find John, the book of John, because I'm going to show you I want to show you, hopefully I'm going to show you, how Jesus reorients their lives around these same four promises, the disciples' lives around the same four promises. So John 17, little context while you're flipping, while you're getting the pages moving or you're finding it in your app or whatever it is you're doing. Um, John 17 Literally, it's the night of Jesus' death. So Jesus, John 13, Jesus' last supper, washes their feet. John 14, 15, 16, it's a, it's a dialogue between Jesus and the disciples, and they're walking and they're talking. John 17 is what we call uh, Jesus' priestly prayer. It's, it's his prayer to God for the disciples and for us, for you, for me. And what Jesus is doing is he's reorienting them because they're about to face a tremendous loss. Him, their, their friend, their teacher. They've spent three years with this guy, living, doing literally everything with him. And now Jesus is saying, tonight's the night I'm going to die. And he's, he's dropping this bomb. Let not your heart be troubled. Remember, that's how chapter 14 started. And he's dropped that bomb on them. And they are going through a loss, and the rest of their life is going to be lost. The rest of their life is going to be hard. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be witnesses for Christ, but to their own detriment. And so Jesus is saying, I need to reorient you. I need to refocus your life around who God is and, and his presence and his place and his purpose and his person. His person. So here in John 17, we'll, we'll pick it up at verse 18. Look at verse 18. Jesus praying, of course, he's talking to God the Father. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
Okay, as, so as you have sent Jacob into Egypt, that's the same, so same thing. Just, you know, back in chapter 14, it was, it was, Jesus, where are you going and how can we know the way? In other words, take us with you. Take, take us. We're ready to go too. And Jesus' answer is, no, you're not going with me yet. In fact, I'm sending you into the world. I'm sending you into Egypt. And in Egypt, you're going to be okay. In Egypt, you're actually, you're actually going to prosper. Not always physically. You're going to go through hard things like a pandemic. You're going to lose, lose jobs and you're going to lose celebrations and you're going, to, you're going to lose opportunities. You're going to lose time and money. You're going to lose health. You're going to lose loved ones. You're going to lose, but in that losing, you will actually spiritually prosper. And that's, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. That's what I want us to believe today is that this time that we're in, if all we do is we only see it as loss, we're going to miss it because what God is actually doing through us, church, is that he's actually, he's growing us. He's changing us. We hear the stories all the time. It's happening right now. It's happening right now as I'm talking. Some of you are being changed. Some of you are being challenged. Some of you, this whole, this whole situation that we're living through, it has taught you to love. It has exposed dark parts of you that needed to be exposed, and it has taught you to love and sacrifice. It has taught you to show grace. You're, you're thriving. You're actually thriving spiritually. Can, but can you see that? Or are you so oriented on the loss that, you, that you're missing, that you are actually being fruitful and, and multiplying? Love. You're learning to love. And so God sends us into the world. Look at verse, jump ahead, John 17, um, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe. That's us, church, that's us. Not these only, that's the disciples. But for those who will believe, that's me. I've believed, I've believed. I believed when I was a little kid. Did you, have you believed? Have you believed in Jesus? If you have, then did you know that Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years before you believed? Do you know that? For those that will believe, verse 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me. Look at this language. Father, you are in me, Jesus, and I am in you, that they also may be what? Say it to each other in your house, in your living room. Say it, that they also may be in us the presence of God, the place of God, the world, the presence of God, the indwelling of God in us and us in God. Union with God. This is everything. This is the fulfillment of God's statement to Jacob. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you to Egypt. This is, God, this is the fulfillment of every promise to, um, to Abraham. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. God with us. Emmanuel. This is, this is fulfilled in the Holy Spirit who brings us the life of Christ into us, into our being, uniting us by faith into the very life and existence of the Trinity. Wow. The presence of God that you, that you can never lose. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you wherever you go. If you go into space, he's there. If you go into the sea, he's there. If you go to heaven, he's there. If you go to hell, he's there. If, wherever you go, he's there with you. You cannot lose it. 
Jesus is reorienting them. Is he reorienting you this morning? Look at verse 23, the purpose of God. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Unity and love, unity and love, that the world may see that they are perfectly one and know that you sent me and loved them, loved the world, even as you loved me. That, oh my goodness, we could talk about that all day. But I want us to focus on our purpose as unity and love. What, was, what were the Israelites' purpose in Egypt? Be fruitful and multiply. Why? So that the whole world can be blessed through them, so that they can be pointers to God. As a nation, they would be pointers to God. Well, God's not building a nation anymore, not a physical nation. He's not creating a, a politic, a body politic. He, he's not running a political party or, or he's not a, a chief executive. What is Jesus doing today? He's forming the church. And so what is the purpose of the church? Unity and love that reflects the unity and love of the Trinity to the world, that the world may know that Jesus is the one that was sent. Church, listen to me. Listen to me. In our church, we are, so as we, we are, in the next few weeks, we are going to start to reopen, right? We can see kind of a little light at the end of this tunnel, and we're going to start to reopen. And here's what's, here's what's the thing. In this church, there are all kinds of opinions on how that should happen. There's church members that are going to say, I'm not going to church. I'm not going in there. I'm not ready. And you're going to have church members that are like, yeah, we should have been open. This has all been a conspiracy. And we got to find unity in the middle. We got to find that place where we love each other and we care about each other. And by grace, we are willing to, you know, if we stand up and say, okay, we're going to have church, but we're all going to wear masks. Or we're going to have church, and maybe we're not going to sing for the first few weeks. Or we're going we're gonna to have church, but we're going to make everybody spread out. And through love and grace and unity, we're going we're gonna to say, okay. For the sake of the body and for the sake of the witness to the world, I am willing to do this. And you know what this does? It tests the gospel in our hearts. Do I really believe the gospel? Do I really believe that I don't have to have my own way? That I, do I really believe that in Christ I have all I need and so I don't have to get my own way when it comes to how we go to church in the next few months? It tests the gospel, tests the faith of our hearts. And then look at verse 24. John 17, verse 24. Father... Look at this, you could, you, this could come straight out of Joseph. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see what Jesus is saying? Look at Jesus' deep desire is that you, I'm talking to you, Christian, that you be with him. Just like Joseph needed his dad. Go get my dad. Go get my dad. Bring my dad. I want my dad to see me. I want my dad to see my glory. I want my dad to see that I made it, that I, that I did it. I'm running Egypt. Jesus is saying, I want my brothers and sisters. I want them to come. I want them to come see me. 
I want them to come see my glory. The person of Jesus. Church, I want to take you just one more place. I know, I know we've been going a long time. Go to Revelation. Because I just want to show us how this all ends. And I want to show you. Go to the last couple chapters of your Bible. Revelation 21, 22. I'm just going to show you real quick. Presence of God, the place of God, the purpose of God, the person of Jesus. Look at Revelation 21. Church, this will reorient, reorient you if you'll, let, if you'll let your future soak in. If you can see your future here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. The place of God. God is preparing a place for us. He's preparing a new earth for us. I've said this many times. Listen, Christian, your future is a physical future with a on a physical earth with a physical Jesus. Every cookout we're missing out on, we're, we will, it will be restored. Every celebration, every dance you've missed, every prom that you didn't get to go to, every graduation ceremony that we're missing, every birthday party that you had to drive by and honk instead of actually going out of the car and seeing people, it's all going to happen. In, in this amazing eternal cookout in God's backyard on a new earth with God in a new place in the presence of God. He dwells with us. He is our God. We are with him. Jump over to chapter 22, Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Do you see it? Our purpose we gather around on this new earth. We gather around the throne of the Lamb, Jesus, worshiping him and reigning with him. Just as God sent the Hebrews into Egypt to worship him and to reign with him, God will bring us around his throne to worship, to serve him and reign with him, to be fruitful and multiply, so to speak. But really, what's our true glory What's the, what's the prize at the end of all of this? We will see, verse 4, we will see his face. When Joseph saw Jacob's face, he fell on his neck and he sobbed. 
And Jacob, when he saw Joseph's face, he said, now I have peace. You see, Christian, that's what's coming for every single one of us. Maybe you're listening to me this morning and all of this is foreign to you and you're not a Christian and you're not even sure if you want to be a Christian and you're definitely not sure how to be a Christian. This is how, this is how Revelation ends. The Spirit, that's God, and the Bride, that's the church, that's us Christians. We say to you today, come, come. Let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come let the one who desires take the water of life without price you see you can't buy salvation you can't earn it you can't figure it out it's not a puzzle to be solved it's not a it's not a merit badge to be sewn on your vest it's a gift plain and simple it's a gift Jesus today is offering you the gift of his life. It's living water. You never thirst again. Every desire met in him. Every loss flipped. Everything bad made good for all of time, for all of eternity. Do you believe this this morning? And Christian, will you allow all of these promises to reorient your life, to help you to see clearly to, to not uh, push aside your loss, but to take it to God and allow him to use it to open up your eyes to himself, his presence, his place, his purpose for you, and his person, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? God, you are our Savior. You are the one who saves us by your presence with us. For it is in your presence that we are changed and made holy. God, we look forward to the day when we are finally in your presence fully, seeing the face of Jesus, falling on his neck, sobbing with him. Jesus, it gives us great courage and hope this morning to know that you desire to see us even more than we desire to see you. Again, we admit we lose sight of you. The losses, the hardships, the troubles, they, they have grabbed hold of our sight. But Jesus, today, would you take that back? Would you give us a vision of yourself that in this moment, right now, you are with us, you have sent us out into the world, and that you are with us in the world by your spirit and our future, that one day you will bring us back out, just like you said to Jacob, I will bring you back out of Egypt. Jesus, we know one day you will bring us back out and you will bring us to your eternal home forever. We love you. We claim all of these promises in the name of Jesus. Amen.